well, uh, we are, as a church, continuing our study through the book of Acts. And so I would encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I sure hope that you do, to take it out and open up to Acts chapter 8, where we find ourselves this morning, Acts chapter 8. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Now, while you're turning there, I wanna just ask you a question. Have you ever been in an environment, maybe a space or around a group of people where you have felt like an outsider? Some space that you've entered in where you feel like, you know what, you look around and you just, the, the overwhelming sense that you get is that you do not belong. Have you ever felt like that before? I can remember growing up, I grew up, my family, uh, the church that my mom and dad uh, raised us in was a brethren church, so we grew up going to a, a Protestant church, but um, they came from a long line of Catholics. And so anytime we would go over to our cousin's house, if I would stay overnight on a Saturday night, um, I would oftentimes find myself going with them to Catholic mass. And every time I went to Catholic mass, my parents would always sort of prepare me in advance for what I was gonna experience, you know? Uh, essentially, little Dougie, you don't totally know how this works. You don't know when to stand. You don't know when to sit. You don't know what to say. Um, that's okay. Just sit there. Just sit there. When they get up, everybody else gets up and goes for communion. You don't do that. You just sit there. And uh, when every time I would go, I would always find myself in that experience just absolutely feeling like I didn't belong. And everybody around me knew I didn't belong. I would just be looking, what are the cues? What do I say? What do I do? And then when everybody would pass by me in the pew, I would just find myself with this overwhelming sense that I did not belong. I felt like in that moment, every single time, I just felt like an outsider, I didn't like it. Have you found yourself in a similar experience? Maybe it's a space. Maybe it is a group of people. Maybe it's something that you really want to be associated with, really want to be a part of, but you have found yourself just left out. You're an outsider. And even worse, everybody knows you're an outsider. Certainly, there are many of us who feel, do not feel welcome or included in the church for a variety of reasons. Maybe some of you have felt that way before. Maybe those reasons that make you feel like you just don't belong, maybe they're political issues, they might be social issues, they might be cultural or racial issues, they could be generational differences, maybe socioeconomic distinctions that would cause someone to walk into a church on a Sunday morning and just feel like an outsider. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. Certainly there are people who can relate. Now as followers of Jesus, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, this truth, this reality, should, it should break our hearts. When we see someone visiting us on a Sunday morning, we should want them to come back right? We should want them to return. As we look around here this morning and we see seats that are vacant, that are not occupied, our hearts as followers of Jesus should long that these seats one day would become filled. Why? Because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the entire world. And we want those that are outside the gospel to come in 
to the gospel. Those who are distant from God to draw near. Those who are lost to be found. How can the church be inclusive? Should the church be inclusive? Jesus himself certainly was. In fact, he said this is precisely why he came, to seek and save the lost. If you were to read the story of Jesus, you would see him over and over again just consider the people that he was spending time with, those that society would categorize as outsiders, as outcasts, Jesus knowingly, willingly associated with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. In fact, when other insiders were troubled by Jesus' association with those who were coming to him, his response was, do not hinder them. Do not hinder them. As all sorts of people drew near to Jesus. So the question should be, if we are followers of Jesus, how can we do this? How can we, like Jesus, welcome outsiders, those who feel left out? How can we welcome them into his family? How can we be a church that makes room for all kinds of people? It's a question that we need to think long and hard about, and it is precisely the question which this section of Acts helps us consider. Now, Luke has been showing us so far how the kingdom is expanding, how it is spreading. Last week, we saw as Philip took the gospel message following the murder of Stephen to Samaria. And in quite a shocking way, the Samaritans were welcomed into the community of God. God was forming one new man, one people. This week, the advance continues. And what we'll see as we consider Acts 8, 26 to 40, we will see precisely how outsiders are gathered to God. So, Acts 8, 26 to 40. I'm gonna read it for us and then I will pray. This is a, a fantastic story. Hopefully one that many of you are familiar with. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? 
for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out, out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, come to you this morning and as we have your word open before us, Lord, I just pray that you would guide us in your truth, which we believe to be eternal. Lord, would you take this word and would you write it on our very hearts? Would you use it this very morning to form us into the people that you have designed and created us to be? We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, that's the question we're gonna explore this morning. How can outsiders be gathered to God? First sort of point I wanna make, and this is the longest, okay? I'll just prepare you. So if you just are thinking, oh my goodness, that was the first point. What's we in store for? This is just, it's okay. This is the longest point. The first one is this. I want us to consider together the need to belong. Our passage last week concluded with the apostles returning to Jerusalem, sharing the gospel along the way, while Philip, we're told in verse 26, was directed by an angel of the Lord. This angel told Philip to go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. While on this road, he finds another individual also on a journey. First thing I wanna note about this individual that he encounters is he is assuredly an outsider. This man is an outsider. He comes from what would have been in this time known as the edge of the known world. The text tells us that he's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia at that point would have, um, would have uh, consisted of the land between Aswan, which is in Lower Egypt, and Khartoum, which is Sudan. So this, this would have represented in Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, really the ends of the earth. It's clear that this individual was not from around here. He, he, was, he was culturally different. Um, additionally, he was racially different. His, his, the, the fact that he, didn't, that he wasn't from around here would have been obvious to anybody in the ancient Near East as he would have went to Jerusalem and walked around everybody just by looking at him and, and his darker skin would have known this man is not from here. He was an outsider. But more significantly than where he come, came from and his race, the color of his skin, more significantly, this man, we're told, was a eunuch. This aspect of his identity would certainly cement his status as that of an outsider. He was the definition of an outsider. 
Clearly, Luke wants us to see that. It's interesting to see that he doesn't give the man a name through the story. We don't know his name. And he does not refer to him throughout the story as the Ethiopian. Rather, over and over again, he's simply called the eunuch. Verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip. Verse 36, and the eunuch said. Verse 38, Philip and the eunuch. Verse 39, and the eunuch saw him no more. Luke goes to great lengths to establish this point. As we're reading it, you almost find yourself saying, okay, we get it. He doesn't have any testicles. Point made, I got it. I think that Luke is doing this very intentionally. He's underlined that this is a critical aspect of this man's identity. He was a eunuch. He was a eunuch. Why is this so critical to the story? Well, it's so critical because of what it would have meant for this man. More specifically, what it would have meant for this man as he was taking an incredibly long journey trying to discover a place of belonging. Now, if you were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, in fact, flip there real quick, if you have your Bibles open, Deuteronomy chapter 23. I want you to just notice, if you see the top of chapter 23, the heading that sits right above that of chapter 23, the heading reads this. Those excluded from the assembly. It gives you a list of individuals who would not be permitted to go into the temple to worship. They would have been, as the heading says, excluded from the temple. Look at verse one. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. In other words, you him, a eunuch, can't go into the assembly of God's word. He is, as a eunuch, excluded from temple worship. So he would have found himself in Jerusalem at the temple, unable to enter, just kept on the outside where the court of the Gentiles would have been. This prohibition against admitting eunuchs into the assembly of the Lord likely meant that this man was not a Jewish proselyte in the fullest sense. He was forced to live on the fringes of Judaism. Maybe better described as a would-be proselyte, prevented from entering fully into Jewish life. But... Nevertheless, as we will see, ready to receive the gospel. This eunuch would have held positions of trust and honor in his oriental courts. His position as treasurer suggests that this is a man who, who holds a, a place of high social standing in his culture. And while it's possible that he was born either as a eunuch or simply impotent, it's also highly likely that he is so into advancing in his career that he's willing to make easily the biggest sacrifice one could make so that he could reap the rewards of his career. This is a drastic step potentially he took. 
Clearly, he's a man of great resources. He's a man of significant wealth. That he could fund such a long journey, some think maybe about 1,500 miles, would have taken months if he was traveling by chariot to go from where he was from to Jerusalem. And that he could, he could afford his own copy of a biblical book. All of this suggests that this is a man not just with resources, but with enthusiasm, with, with, a, long, with a desire to belong to something. I wonder if there are some here today who can relate. This man is clearly committed to his career. He has, in fact, achieved much, and according to worldly standards, he lacks little. And yet, we find him here in Acts 8, searching, looking for more. Looking for more in life. All that he has set his hopes in seem to have not been fully, been able to fully deliver on their promise. So here he is on the search for more. And can you imagine his disappointment? Can you imagine his disappointment? Incredible resources, time, energy, money to go all the way to Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Jewish faith. This is the place that you would go if you wanted to find God. It was the home of the temple, the priests, experts in the law. This is God's own city, the promised land. Finally, arriving after an incredibly long journey, what does he discover? He's unable to enter into the assembly. He can't go all the way in. He's kept at a distance. Can you imagine the disappointment, the visible, real reminder that he is on the outside, unable to come in. It's so bad that we find him here traveling away from God's assembly, the, the very, this very place where he should have all the answers to the questions his heart longs for, and he's still asking questions. How can I understand what has been written how can I learn what this book means? I couldn't find it there. Philip, can you help me? What an indictment on Jerusalem this was. That he should be leaving while still asking those questions. Scriptures in his hand. And still nothing but questions bouncing around in his head. How is the outsider brought near to God? Lesson number one, not through religion. Not through religion. This is a vivid picture of religion and everything it stands for and how it isn't what our hearts long for. If we put our hopes in it, we too, like this eunuch, will walk away disappointed. This is certainly the eunuch's experience, and I'm sure that there's some here today who are able, maybe on some level, to relate. When we talk about bringing outsiders into the family of God, including those who are far off on the fringes, on the margins, folks, religion just won't do. That's not enough. Now, this man is looking for God, he's searching, 
And here he is, kept again at arm's length. Now, God is, as we said before, and we read in, Acts, or in Isaiah 56 that Agnes read earlier, God is gathering the outsiders, the outcast to himself. Maybe there's some here today who are particularly in need of hearing that message. This is the business of God, bringing those who are outside in. Look around today and wonder, how are we ever going to reach those outsiders in our community? Maybe you can relate with that desire, those hurting, longing to belong, but constantly feel like they're left out. Maybe you feel this morning frustrated by failed efforts to reach out by the church. Or maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you yourself feel like an outsider, unwelcome by the people of God, maybe by God himself. God has included this story in the book of Acts to show, yes, the spread of the kingdom, as we said over and over and over again, but more specifically to show how the outsiders are brought near. The first thing that we see is how it doesn't happen, namely through religion. So then how does it happen? Point number two, the gospel of Jesus Christ embraces the outsider. How is the outsider, the outcast, able to be gathered to God himself? Answer, only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ embraces the outsider. In our text, look down at verse 29. I'm gonna read that section again. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he comes across the man as the spirit had directed and the spirit once again prompts Philip to go towards him. So Philip ran to him, verse 30, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. It's striking on one level how utterly simple and basic this conversion is. Philip, an ordinary person, yes, he's filled with the spirit, but so is every follower of Jesus. It's true of every believer. He's not an apostle. From what we can tell, he's a fairly ordinary guy. And he's not in an overly impressive place. This would be similar to you or I traveling to Mount Pleasant and on the way down Highway 218, we discover a man sitting in a Prius, Prius parked at a Casey's, right? And we pull up next to him, his window lowered, and we hear him reading aloud. There's nothing extraordinary or impressive about this location. This individual trying to make sense of what he's reading, a puzzled, confused look on his face. 
In the ancient world, reading, this is how people read. They read out loud. So Philip hears him just doing what people do, reading, and asks him a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, it's a simple question, but it is a fantastic question. Well done, Phil. The eunuch opens the door quite literally, asks him to join him in his chariot, and then metaphorically opens the door and says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? That question puts the ball on the tee for Philip. And Philip knows precisely what to do with that question. Now, as we consider the desire, our call to share Christ, to share the gospel and to, to do that through evangelism, I'll be the first to admit and confess, this is not our norm, it's not my normal experience. Maybe it is for you. I am very rarely do I audibly hear an angel Lord invisibly see one standing next to me say, go there. And very rarely do I come across somebody who I think needs to hear the good news and just discover them reading the Bible. And if that were to happen, I, I just, this has this never been my experience. Never have I had that person say, can you tell me, point to a pass that is so Christologically focused and say, can you tell me who he's talking about? Like never has it been this easy for me. My guess is you probably can relate. It's probably never been this easy for you either. Maybe it has, and if it has, praise God. This is not the normal experience for us. The ingredients of what are required to share the gospel are all here and very easy for us to follow just the same. Now focus for a minute on that question, about whom? That's the question. The eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, a chapter that is all about, first of all, all of scripture is all about Jesus, all right? But Isaiah 53 specifically is all about the death of Jesus. He was wounded and pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that would bring us peace. By his stripes we are healed. All have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The good news at the heart of the gospel of Jesus is that there is hope for those that are outside to draw near because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is the hope of the gospel, that though we are all sinners, though we have all rebelled at God and willfully chosen to keep him at arm's length, Though we deserve judgment and punishment for these sins. That though we're all outsiders, all outcasts, every single one of us, none of us deserve the grace and mercy that he extends to us. That even while all that is true, Jesus has broken into this world 
has come to us in our reality. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. And in doing so, he took the punishment of the sins that we should pay. He took our burden for our sin. By his wounds, we are healed. And only by his, Jesus's wounds, are we healed. And now anyone, this is the hope of the gospel. Anyone, outcasts and outsiders alike, who turn to trust in Jesus, are gathered to God. The outsider gathered to God and promised eternal life. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the reason why you and I can come here every morning or hopefully every Sunday morning, I don't know, as many Sunday mornings as you can make it, and rejoice in who God is, regardless of the circumstances in our life, regardless of the recent diagnosis, regardless in the change of income, regardless in the, the trauma that this week has, been, has put us through, just trying to survive. We can enter into this place. We can raise our arms and our voices and rejoice in who God is. Why? Because you and I are outsiders and he's brought us to himself only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what God has done. Now, this work that Jesus has accomplished, it comes with this amazing promise. If the eunuch would have just kept reading a couple of chapters, he would have eventually gotten to Isaiah 56. And what he would have discovered in those verses are the remarkable promise that you and I have benefited from, claim. It was what Agnes read just earlier. Wonderful description of what Jesus' work would accomplish. Let not the foreigner who has come to the Lord fear being separated from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. This is what the eunuch would have said. This is what this man's heartbeat would have been. I am a dry tree. But Isaiah 56 says, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God is gathering the outcasts and outsiders alike to himself. And this promise, the promise of Isaiah 56, is ultimately fulfilled in Christ and in Christ alone. This is the great promise of Isaiah 56. It, it comes after the description of the work that Jesus would, would do, what he would accomplish. And it's, it's the inevitable consequence of Jesus dying for us. 
We see as Philip proclaims the gospel, the similar pattern repeats itself. In verse 35, he explains Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, the work that he accomplished. And then in verse 36, we see the inevitable consequence. The, the eunuch is enfolded into the family of God. He's baptized as a, as a visible representation of him joining God's family, being gathered together says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? No barriers, no exclusion. The outsider is brought near. The, the, the great gathering promise is being fulfilled. It could be translated, what hinders me from being baptized? Sounds a lot like Jesus' exhortation in Matthew 19. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, where Jerusalem and religion hindered, the gospel of Jesus flings the doors wide open and says, you out there, come on in. You far away, looking for a place to belong, look no further, come home. Point number three, how is the outcast, the outsider gathered? Second point was through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, how is the outsider gathered? The outsiders are gathered as God's spirit uses God's people to proclaim God's word. This is the pattern that we saw in Samaria when Philip Filled by the power of the Holy Spirit was displaying signs and wonders and people believed in the gospel of Jesus. And it's the same pattern that we see here in this interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch. Outsiders are gathered as God's spirit uses God's people to proclaim God's word. Jesus is gathering by his spirit. One of the things that really stands out about this passage is God's sovereignty and the spirit-directed activity. All the way through our study of Acts, it's been so obvious that Jesus, while he sits on the throne, is still in control. The ascended Christ is reigning, is ruling, is directing to this very day. And he's unstoppable. He's directing and guiding the whole way through. And we see this point obvious in this story. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. In verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, and in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. All throughout, we see the spirit at work directing Philip. Jesus is reigning from his throne, calling the shots. And so for us as a people, we can be encouraged. I don't know about you, but oftentimes it feels like, is the gospel actually advancing? Is God's will actually being done? It feels like oftentimes like things are working against us. And as we read the book of Acts, we will see opposition, obstacle after obstacle. And yet, God can't be stopped. So if you sense that in your life, you have been sharing your faith for years, and it feels like you don't see any fruit coming from it, what you should be able to do right now this morning is take a deep breath, be encouraged, because God's spirit is at work and it won't be stopped. He won't be stopped. Be encouraged. But 
Also be reminded that his spirit, while his spirit is gathering, he's choosing to do the gathering by using his people, by using you and me, the church. Jesus is gathering through his people. We suppose that the spirit, he could just do it by himself. This is the remarkable thing about God is he could choose to do it that way, but he has strategically, purposefully chosen to give us his spirit and to work his purposes through his people. He's put us on the front lines of what he is ultimately doing as the gospel advances. Recently, I had the opportunity, misfortune, call it like you want, to uh, buy something at Walmart. No shade on Walmart, okay? But I found myself the other night walking through the aisles of Walmart and uh, I was with my son. It was before a baseball tournament. He's looking for some sunflower seeds, okay? I didn't know sunflower seeds were so hard to find at Walmart. In fact, everything's hard to find at Walmart, I suppose, if you don't go there. But I was looking up and down aisles over and over again looking for sunflower seeds. Finally, couldn't find any sunflower seeds, but there was an employee standing on a box putting things on the shelf. I asked the employee, like, sent from God, could you tell me where the sunflower seeds are? I'm sick of wandering around this store. And he said something like, yeah, aisle 18 next to the dates. I don't know what he said, something like that, right? So we're like, okay. So, you know, we went to aisle 18, up and down, up and down, up and down. Finally, we found like two bags of sunflower seeds, like two options. It wasn't very overwhelming, all right? It made the choice much easier. But it was striking to me how unusual that experience was. Why? Because I'm used to shopping at Hy-Vee. Um, and not just do I know where the sunflower seeds are at Hy-Vee, but if I didn't, my experience would look more like this. Oh, there's an employee, wonderful employee. Could you show me where the sunflower seeds are? And they would not say, yes, aisle 18 next to the dates. They would meet me where I'm at. They would walk me to the precise location and they would show me exactly what I'm looking for. Glorious abundance of sunflower seeds, okay? Folks, when we consider what God does through his people and how he works, this analogy only goes so far. We wanna be more like Hy-Vee and less like Walmart, all right? What Philip does is he goes directly to where the Ethiopian is, meets him precisely in the road that he's at, now, granted, the Bible was open, but what does he do? He, he t- starts exactly where he's at, and with him, he takes him to where he's supposed to be. And that's really the job of us as followers of Jesus. Whatever people that God has sprinkled along our path. We don't need to wait for an angel of the Lord to appear and say, go there, all right? We know what God's heart is for us, to proclaim his message, to take people straight to Jesus. He chooses to work through his people. Now, this road that he's traveling on, the Jews normally would travel on. This is a desert road. It was difficult. It was dangerous. Uh, More significantly, Gaza was a city that was of Philistines, and apart from a very good reason, Jews typically did not go to this region. They didn't enter Philistine territory. You read through the Old Testament, you'll see conflict after conflict between these two nations back and forth throughout the Old Testament. Philip's presence on this road and his obedience to the Spirit reveals something that's very significant about the call of the gospel. 
If you truly embrace the gospel and commit to following Jesus, you may, not unlike Philip, find yourself going, going where you never thought you would go, doing what you never thought you would do. What Philip was able to do in this moment was yield to the Spirit's prompting. And as a result, because he was available, because he was ready, because he was obedient, a, life's, a man's life was radically transformed. So for us, the charge is very similar. Are we yielding to the Spirit? Are we allowing God to work in us and through us to bring others into the kingdom, to, to allow God to gather people, those that are outside, to himself? Finally, we see that Jesus is gathering by his Spirit, through his people, and by his word. Philip didn't do special tricks. This conversion is unusual because it was not accompanied by any signs and wonders. This, the Bible, the simplicity of it is awesome. The Bible was simply read and explained. Some think that you have to cut bits out of the Bible, subtract from it, add to it. Maybe it's too dated, not relevant enough. Certainly times have changed. Perhaps the Bible, the message should change as well. The role of us as followers of Jesus is to spread the word, not shred the word. If we wanna make followers of Jesus, if we're filled with his spirit, all we have to do is open up the Bible and proclaim it. That's our job. So if that's the reality, if it's a critical piece to yield to the spirit, to use God's word, then it should mean for us as followers of Jesus that we are in the Bible on a regular basis. What you'll notice that this Ethiopian was able to is look at Isaiah 53, or sorry, what Philip was able to do to look at Isaiah 53 and make a beeline, as Charles Spurgeon would call it, directly to Jesus. He was proficient in the scriptures. And if we, if this is necessary for making followers of Jesus, making disciples, then likewise have to follow suit. We ought to know our Bible, read our Bible, look for Christ in our Bible, regardless of what passage that we're reading. Be able to, to know and tell the entirety of the story. And this is precisely what Philip does. Folks, the, the good news that we see here in Acts chapter eight, that if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, you are a, uh, that you benefit from is that Jesus is gathering the outsider to himself and he wants to use you to do just that. The question for you to consider as you leave here this morning, are you willing to allow him to use you as he brings outsiders in to the kingdom? Are you willing? He wants to use you, he's designed it this way to use you. Are you willing to participate in this amazing advance of the gospel. I sure hope that you are. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning. It's again for your word. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that your purposes will not fail. And finally, Lord, we thank you that you choose to bring us along for the ride. I pray that you would allow us to be, as your people, willing participants who are yielding to your spirit and who are proficient in your word so that we can, much like Philip, go about proclaiming the gospel, welcoming those who are outside to come on in. But we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus.